Unless you've made a serious mistake, you are currently listening to a free excerpt of the committee program with me, Arun Chaudhry. Our show contains lots more global politics, and you can become a member at fans.fm slash committee to receive our full YouTube show, audio, plus other exclusive content. That's fans.fm slash committee. And be sure to check out our YouTube show every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Namiki Konst YouTube channel. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Deep Cuts, which is when we go all the way in on a subject. And today I'm very excited because we have sort of tickled the top of the subject several times, especially when talking about youth politics, and that's the notion of eco-fascism, right? The idea there'll be some uniting of ecological principles with a far-right authoritarianism in some form, right? We've only talked about it in the abstract, but today we are not going to talk about it in the abstract. Uh, so let me read my prepared remarks. Uh, on the show, we often talk about how politicians take youth politics for granted, how we assign progressive and even sometimes liberal values on younger generations that does not hold up to historical perspective. One need only think of the directory in France for a dressed up example of reactionary young people. And that's what got us thinking about eco-fascism. Could the lack of energy and action from the center left and center right consensus fuel a rise of intolerant environmentalism? What might this movement look like? Beyond our own prostignations, who might actually make up this movement? With us today to help define eco-fascism and place it in our constellation of worries is Sam Moore, host of 12 Rules for What podcast and author of two books, the upcoming post-internet far right, which is out today, uh, and also uh, on Dog Section Press, and also The Rise of Eco-Fascism, which will deal with a lot of what we're talking about today from Polity Press, and that will be available early next year. Thank you so much for coming on, Sam. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Eco-fascism. It's a thing Eco everyone wants to name their band. You know, it's like it's a super <laughs> sexy thing. Uh, and But you've written about it in terms of, well, one thing you wrote about that really jumped out at me was how natural these two things are to fit together in terms of their embrace of apocalypse. Can you talk a little bit about uh, this, this kind of shared notion they have of a coming apocalypse and how this is maybe a foundation of a shared relationship? So if you think about when people uh, most recently started to be worried about eco-fascism, there were some worries about it in the 70s and 80s, but the contemporary period when people are thinking about it as a term and using it quite kind of um, a lot uh, really stems from the Christchurch shooting. Um, so in uh, New Zealand, of course, there was a, a, a man who went into a, a mosque and murdered 51 Muslims, uh, or two different mosques in Christchurch. Um, and he named his ideology eco-fascism. So it's really from this kind of apocalypticism, this kind of um, terrorist apocalypticism, we might say, um, that the idea of eco-fascism in its like most recent form um, comes. But if you look really carefully at what it was that he was writing about in that manifesto, we might think that he has fairly conventional kinds of environmental politics. But no, he doesn't really. In fact, there's a particular part where he's got this kind of Q&A section in his manifesto about um, climate change. And one of the questions is, why don't you talk about climate change? Why don't you discuss this? Or why, do you, why haven't you written, you know, why, why haven't you focused on climate change? And the reason he gives for it is because this is, he says, the same problem as the problem he's talking about. And the problem he's talking about is what he calls birth rates. So 
the manifesto opens, this uh, uh, terrorist manifesto opens, it's about, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates. It's this um, invocation that kind of opens the, the whole idea, opens the whole manifesto. And so there's a kind of a sense in which for those on the far right, the idea of climate change as an enormous apocalyptic kind of wave actually doesn't have any of the content that we would think it would have. It doesn't have the content of being something related to, let's say, um, the amount of CO2 suspended in the atmosphere. That's irrelevant. It doesn't have anything to do with ecological collapse. It doesn't have anything to do with all these kind of things that environmental politics in its more conventional mode talks about. And you can see this not just in the most extreme exemplars of these, which is, of course, this guy, and also um, the person who perpetrated the El Paso shooting. Not just in those ones, but also in the much more widespread, much more kind of complicated youth cultures that are developing around the far right, around the kind of the post-alt-right, maybe that's a mm -hmm. term I'll come back to explain, around the post-alt-right, various groups who are picking up various kinds of naturalization of politics. That is, they're saying like, okay, well, the really core thing here is not climate change, it's not CO2 in the atmosphere, it's not you know, the radiative forcing of uh, light in the atmosphere which causes you know, one point you know, something degrees uh, of, of um, you know, warming. The really important thing here is something like microplastics. Right? It's that our relationship to nature is fundamentally wrong in some way that we don't quite specify. But the solution, we know what the solution is. Even though we, the, many people are not particularly clear on what the problem is, they are emphatic about the solution. It is white nationalism, or it is um, a world cleansed, and I think that's a, you know, an important word to think about here, a, a word cleansed, a world cleansed of other races, people, of, uh, people who are not white. And this is so, in these images, the structure of climate change, which is the kind of the, the temporality in which things get exponentially worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then you can't stop it, which is the kind of the basic underlying structure of how you think about climate change, probably accurately, is stripped of all its content, and instead a kind of a, a different kind of naturalism of politics is injected instead. And it's that naturalism, natural, that kind of naturalization of politics, because it's so various, because nature is such an, an open idea that yeah, could be used yeah. for so many different things, it's that openness that allows uh, frankly a kind of like a quite like a terrifying mishmash of people to come together around nature politics because it's not very clearly defined do you think this has been more of a relationship to sort of the way like darwinism was embraced in sort of very strange <clears throat> uh political ways that were, were pseudoscientific uh more than it is a kind of coming together uh of people who like I mean, I guess here, here's what I'm actually asking. Is it since it's so, since what you describe is so divorced from the actual realities of climate change and the actual climate emergency, is this essentially kind of a, a greenwashing in the end because it takes some of those concerns and puts them in a place where it can't do anything? And I'm thinking about this in terms of traditional definitions of fascism, which is an alliance between the state and industry in some very fundamentally important way. Yes, I think greenwashing is a very useful way of thinking about it, not because that's the core of the politics, but because of the way you introduced the idea of ecofascism earlier, was not as one particular form of politics, or not particular, particular idea, but as a convergence, a almost opportunistic kind of convergence between um, interests, uh, let's say, just a capitalism, right? So capital, um, who wants there to be um, certain well-defined nation states and so on, because this is productive, uh, this is useful for them, for their business, and 
if these 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 nation states have an underlying racial basis, then you know, so white doesn't really make any difference to most of them. Um, and, and and much more kind of nebulous um, ideas uh, that kind of just like are from the kind of conspiratorial uh, hinterlands, right? And it's the convergence of these two things that I think is, is is really key. So yes, I would say greenwashing is important, but it's not important because that's the core of the politics. It's important because that's the way these two things are going to come together. I would say that probably, very likely, that greenwashing will be much weirder than you imagine it being. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about QAnon, no one thinks QAnon is... Um, an environmentalist movement, right? But I would, perhaps because I'm kind of, uh, I've been thinking about this for way too long, but I would say that QAnon is something like an environmentalist movement, right? It has a cosmology. It has like a whole view of the universe that is like fundamentally divided between good things and bad things. And the absurdity of that universe is that it can't see the very thing that it needs to see, right? Which is exactly the thing I was talking about before, about the, the concentration of certain parts per million. So although it has holism right it has like a, a total view of, of the, the whole of reality which is very characteristic of environmental thinking um although it has that it is unable to actually make the fine kinds of distinctions within that that it needs to make so the, the central fact which is that there is more carbon in the atmosphere than there have been before and that will lead to you know this kind of um relative forcing and that will lead to temperature rises and so on and that will lead to storms and you know so on all these things are just completely obscured because they don't fit into QAnon's very 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 simple moral landscape so greenwashing, I would say that the hagiography of Donald Trump, this sounds like an absurd thing to say, I would say the hagiography of Donald Trump is something like a greenwashing because it's a way of avoiding the question of climate change. It's not a way of solving the question of climate change. It's a way of completely avoiding the question of climate change by proposing a different kind of naturalism in politics that is so unbelievably vast in scope that contains everyone but manages um, either on the side of good, or on the side of evil and so on. It contains a whole cosmology. Um, but completely fails to grasp the actual simple facts that need to be grasped. And so I would say that QAnon is in some sense an environmental movement because it's operating under the same seductive procedures as environmentalism, which is to expand your view out to the whole, to everything, everything is in your politics, right? That's what QAnon seduction is. You can say that's something about everything, but it, in the most tragic way possible. It's also somehow sort of individual he- heroicism versus collective action in some sense, right? I mean, is this where prepping comes in and the overlap of the cultures? Because it's sort of, you're supposed to be making a last stand defending your family, you know, defending your food and your water. It's not supposed to be the last stand is a parliament finally that accepts a certain balance of climate versus development. Yes, I think that maybe, they, maybe I'm going to say something that I'm, it's more speculative. Um, climate change will not allow people a final moment at which everything is decisively resolved one way or another. It will not allow for um, the end of the movie right to happen. Right, mm-hmm. the, 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 it's just going to go on, 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 on. That's like part of it. Right, there's no sudden moment at which like all the carbon in the atmosphere disappears and everyone is fine. Like that doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. So, what you will get, I think are political cultures who are trying to force that final moment, right? Political cultures, not just right-wing political cultures, although there's no kind of uh, likely candidate, cultures that are trying to get to the point of the last moment and then resolve it like that, because it would just seem like kind of endless. Like it's going on and on and on and on and on. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it, and it never comes to a head. And that's going to be a real opportunity, I think, for uh, particularly people on the far right, who are in um, 
uh, in the book we call these um, collapse cultists or climate collapse cults who will be trying to reach that moment at which everything is decisively resolved once and for all because it's not just not going to be there in the Baltics and that's going to be a real source of frustration I think you uh, in, a, in some articles that I've seen sort of break out whether it be you know uh, more former political parties or people who have you know are well the black pills we say um, into sort of different categories of folks who are going to be susceptible to this message who are going to make up this movement. Can you outline those three folks for us? And then, I mean, I could have waited and then asked you, but that's not how I operate. Uh, and then show us where you see them creeping up, especially, I think, around Europe is probably, continental Europe is where we see it probably the clearest. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, the continental Europe is, is the place for it. So uh, there's a kind of, I guess, a mantra, right, on the left is people should historicize things. They should think of them historically. So I'm going to try and historicize that three-part distinction that you're alluding to. The three-part distinction that I think is, is really important for understanding the far right now is the distinction between, on the one hand, sorry, my chair is kind of creaky, if the one, on the one hand, thinking about the state, an authoritarian state, which is absolutely central to fascism, and always has been. There are no fascist parties, there are no fascist movements that are not in some ways oriented towards the authoritarian state. Then there's the central group of people who have been split off from the state, like these people are movements. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned prepping, that's one kind of movement. It's not obviously like, it's not like a movement, like not like the civil rights movement, but it's, it's kind of a movement of itself. We might think of the alt-right, we might think of MAGA, we might think of, um, you know, kind of supporters of various, like, parties in Europe and so on. Um, Padiga, you might think of large street organisations in, in the UK, things like the EDL, English Defence League, or the uh, Democratic Football Lads Alliance, uh, which who replaced the Football Lads Alliance, who apparently weren't democratic enough. So these are the large movements. And they are split off from the state, from the authoritarian state, by... One of the most important, I think, to understand historical processes of the last 40 years, right? So this is what neoliberalism means. It means that there is, a, there is a state, there is a liberalism that is unquestionable and cannot be questioned. And then there is like civil society and the two things are disconnected. They don't have any relationship to each other. And what we've seen in the last 10 years is a sudden resurgence after 30 years of just like a barren social, uh, like a wider civil society. Um, and I'm thinking about quite basic things, like people just don't participate in the world in the same way as they did, for example, in fascism. So in the fascist period, there was people were, particularly in Germany and Italy and other places, Romania, were very just like involved in community, church communities, choirs, walking groups, um, reading groups, uh, political debate clubs, and so on. You think these are all quite trivial things, but these are the things that actually knit societies together. And this was, oh, it, well, these are the things the, that the modern center left lacks and why they're yes, in totally. a left-wing left mass party yes. anywhere. Yes, right? yeah, precisely, yeah. exactly right. So th these are things that knitted society together and that meant that fascism could simply kind of like assume the power of the state when it got into it. It was just like, okay, well, we don't need to go through this liberal um, democracy procedure because we are the people. And they could make what was obviously a false claim um, but was not a totally like kind of like just like baffling claim in the same way that like say QAnon is like we are the people and you're like no you're not you're, you're, you're just not the people whereas like whereas like the Nazis and the fascists although they were like a very small group of uh, the total German population or total Italian population and so on and of course radically exclusive were much more densely knit into society and therefore they could um, assume the mantle of the state much more rapidly so that's changed in the last 40 years, there's been this separation off. And in the last 10 years, with the rise of the internet, there's a return back to this kind of things, um, to there being the two things being put back together. 
the authoritarian state and the mass movements. QAnon is a really good example of this. QAnon is a mass movement that is advocating for the power of the authoritarian state. That's its function. And it's taken all of the kind of conspiratorial milieu that you had in the 1990s and 2000 uh, and so on under Obama, uh, in particular the Jade Helm conspiracy, you know, they're all coming in their UN helicopters and so on to get us. It's taken all of that and just made it into the most core intense supporters of the authoritarian state. So these are the two first two parts of the distinction. You have the authoritarian state and the mass movement. And then you have, that you also didn't have in the 1930s, a split between mass movements and deadly violence, which is that it is no longer okay for groups in society to contest politics by killing people. And it wasn't really kind of okay in any kind of like really kind of clear sense in the 1920s and 30s, but it was much more common, right? Like the fact that the SA could go around and beat people up and the fact that the fascists could just like murder people and yeah, SA kill people and the SS kill people and so on. These were just like much, which is much more common because the state had much less power. And so like civil society was contested in much more kind of fluid ways. So we now operate inside this three-part distinction. There is the state, the movement and the deadly violence. The threat of fascism relies on those three things coming back together. I think that's what you're alluding to when you're talking about like continental Europe. Like, that's what it means. That's why it's significant when the Christchurch shooter who killed all these Muslims in New Zealand, why it was significant that he had gone around all these like far-right parties or the far-right kind of movements in Europe, generation identity, most importantly, and given them loads of money that he'd inherited, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's why it's important that that happened. And that's why it's important that um, Scott Morrison who was the um, who is now the prime minister of Australia when he was the um, when he was the uh, immigration minister or the foreign minister I think of Australia he had a campaign that said no way you will not make Australia home it was a big campaign it's an anti-migrant we're not going to take anybody no migration zero that slogan was then used by generation identity in their movements in, 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 the, in, in the Mediterranean to fend off migrants who are coming from North Africa um, to, to Italy and so on. And so, okay, well, we have a slogan here that is developed by a, um, a right-wing uh, government that is then reappropriated by a, a far-right, borderline fascist movement, generation identity. And then we have, like, a terrorist, like a, a person who was, like, killed lots and lots and lots of people, um, supporting that organisation and naming his manifesto after a conspiracy theory that they propagate. Right? And this is how you get these three things coming back together. So it's not just continental Europe, it's, it's maybe there's more kind of international connection there. But yes, um, what's terrifying is the idea they could come back together. I know it's an incredibly long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, when it's right, and you're really speaking to one of the themes of the show, which is that there is global solidarity on the right, and there are reaping real rewards from that. And it doesn't exist on the left, where people sort of fight politics only in elections and not as a constant contest in the culture, which is maybe why they wonder why the youth show up. I mean, can we talk, can we zone in in this three groups on the kids for a second, on the youth quake? I mean, are are they the tipping point that sort of makes this eco-fascism viable when you have a certain percentage of youth all of a sudden supporting this kind of thing? There was a thing a few years ago, um, which got some uh, slightly shoddy journalism done about it. Uh, which is called uh, Pine Tree Twitter. And uh, Pine Tree Twitter still exists. You can go and find it if you um, just search for like the Pine Tree emoji. People have lots of this in their name on Twitter. And that was a very open collection of people who had, um, many of whom had like come out of the alt-right 
um, not as in they de-radicalized, but they had simply shifted their politics. So the alt-right was like, you know, race. That's the thing. It's all about race. And then they kind of shifted their politics to be like, oh, no, it's actually all about nature and about the connection of, say, white people, Aryans, whatever, like mm -hmm. to nature, all these kind of like ideas. So they, they shifted their politics very slightly. And they're like, no, we've kind of drilled down through the alt-right politics. We've drilled down. We found what's at the bottom of this. And what's at the bottom of it is a relationship to nature. And so there's a shift in the politics that happens there. That culture was very open. And what I mean by that is that someone did some uh, research into it, which was pretty good, um, which was that they found a whole range of political positions. So Ted Kaczynskiism, right? Like, so kind of uh, radicalism uh, of that sort. So not racist radicalism. Um, lots of these Nazis and people um, have been trying to write to Kaczynski while he's in jail. And he's mostly like, you know, uh, can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fuck yeah, off. Yeah. You know, As I'm sure Ted Kaczynski would. Yeah, no, yes, yeah, sure, yeah. He'd be like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. who gave you my number? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, but so, so like, there, there's this kind of, yeah. Um, they're trying to appropriate this. A syncretism between the alt-right, this pine tree Twitter thing, Ted Kaczynski, um, prepper, back to the wood stuff. These dynamics are not yet played out. But they, that is an emerging youth culture. And I think it's something we should uh, watch. I don't know where it's going to go next, but I would be very, very surprised if the place it was going to go next was anything less radical. Um, there is no moderation coming. There's no point at which um, these people will be like, oh, okay, um, we'll just like opt for reforms and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are forms of exhaustion, and this is quite important. So there's a guy called Mike Marr. Um, I don't know if you come across him. Um, and he wrote a collection of uh, things. I've forgotten the name of the book, slipped my mind. But he wrote, he wrote a book um, in which he's trying to do, live the Kaczynskian lifestyle. He's like, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go without food for like 20, like, no, not longer than that, 30, 72 hours. I'm going to go without food for 10 days. And then I'm going to like meet God. And then God is going to tell me, uh, you know, what I should do then. And the book is kind of about that, kind of about this kind of quest. And it's also just kind of about his like, really nasty just like petty racist rambling mm. and it's also about his failure to actually do any of the things he says he's going to do it's also about this kind of exhaustion and so it's really the dynamic between like can i um revolt in a successful way and will i be exhausted by attempting to revolt and failing that's really what i think is the central dynamic of this youth culture i'll give you one other example of exactly that there was a a, a telegram channel called Ecofascism Central. It's gone now. Yeah, unfortunately for my research, but it, it's good that it's gone. <laughs> the best meme that was ever posted in that was a um, a neo-Nazi guy, kind of silhouetted, holding up an AK-47, silhouetted against the Sonnenrand, which is like this. Um, it's it's twelve iterations of the Sig rune, which is the it's it's a symbol the SS used to use. It's used a lot in countries where the swastika is banned. Yes, because um, yes, yes. it's, it's not illegal. Um, so the song around this guy silhouetted the phrase revolt against the system. So revolt against the system is from uh, the Turner Diaries. Uh, it's a phrase about, uh, of like, about kind of the, like a race war. It's about a race war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the examples of ways in which you are supposed to revolt against the system are, and I shit you not, <laughs> eat less junk food, recycle. Um, like uh, take out the like uh, w wash your wash your things before you put them in the recycling bin. Like it's it's like the most unbelievably milk toast 
yeah. boring conventional environmentalism because they don't have an environmental politics that goes beyond invoking nature and then just kind of like sort of self-help self stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this this dynamic, this tension, is just like all over the park, right? I don't know where that goes. I don't know if they're going to develop a better politics than that or like a clearer politics than that. In some ways, I hope not. But it's a really it's a really open question, like where they sit between this conventionalism and this this unbelievable extremism. You know. Well, let me let me set up a slightly cynical scenario, and you can react to it, maybe even hopefully, as a way to to, to take us out, or not. We'll just go deeper in together. <laughs> uh, but like, I feel like in a reform way, like I feel like there is no countervailing center of gravity to what you're talking about because I don't see. Because, and correct me where I'm wrong, in terms of sort of eco-terrorism in the 80s, you know, you let some ferrets out of some thing and somebody got hurt and all of a sudden it was eco-terrorism, was so sort of happily vilified by the left as like, well, that's not right. Uh, and then you saw how the Democratic Party dealt specifically with, and maybe you didn't, and I can talk more about her if you want, but Marion Williamson, who was a presidential candidate I actually worked with a bit, who spoke in a language of wellness, who spoke to the community you're talking about, and who was met with, instead of, ah, this is our opportunity to bring some new people in the Democratic Party, it was much more like, she's a Looney Tune and she speaks to crystal people who are Looney Tunes, we don't want them. Uh, so if these two things, sort of in terms of more extreme and more reform-minded wellness kind of individuals are being pushed out, does that mean that there is no, that the, the, the fascists don't have to have a better argument than like brush your teeth and like clean up your trash? <laughs> um, I go back and forth on, on, on uh, not particularly Marina Williamson, but uh, on other people like her. Um, what is the, the function, what is the use of woo-woo, right, for left politics? Mm -hmm. I think it's a genuinely open question. I don't know. Um, I would say that when we're talking about youth cultures on the far right, like Pine Tree Twitter, like this kind of thing. We're talking about fairly small groups of people. There is also on the left, uh, you know, everyone who's ever heard of Greta Thunberg, right? Like, you know, th 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 these people are also very, very young and they're also international and they're also like networked internationally and they're also pretty effective. And perhaps not at changing client policy, but then no one has been effective at changing client policy. So it's not exactly a, uh, you know, kind of a stick to beat them with. Um, actually really effective at inspiring like loads and loads of people. We're talking about like literally tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people. Like that's that's no that's no small deal. So I think there is there is already a, a left wing um, climate oriented environmentalist movement. I think that's 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 already there. We don't need to be entirely kind of pessimistic about that. Um, yeah. On the question of woo woo, uh, what do I think about that? Um, I'm not sure. I. There are two. There are, there are, let's, I'm going to articulate why I think the tension is. The tension is between, on the one hand, committing to a clear-eyed rationalism about the world, which allows you to say the problem is not that everyone's chakras are misaligned. The problem is not that we have bad energy and we need to like love each other more. The problem is that there is too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Right, it's a, it, 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 it's a biochemical fact about the atmosphere. Right? That's the problem, um, and that of course leads back into thinking about you know, capitalism and industry and so on. That's okay, but we cannot we cannot let slip that clear-eyed focus on what the actual problem is because then we will not solve it. And no amount of good faith, no amount of like kind of healing vibes will allow us to like return to a point where anything like a reasonable politics, anything like a humane politics, is even remotely possible. 
right? It's just not going to happen. So fundamentally, I think there's a, I, I'm, I'm stuck on the question of whether or not we can even slightly deviate from what like, is the absolute fact of the matter, which is like, mm -hmm. which requires a thoroughgoing rationality. That's not going to happen. So <laughs> strategically, I can see a, 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 a um, like a, a clear case for a much more welcoming, much more open form of leftist environmentalism that accepts that people have very, very different ways of articulating what the fundamental problem is. And if Marie Williamson wants to talk about healing vibes, that's 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 good. You know, we need that kind of person so that we can bring people into the space so the left doesn't feel punitive and um, aggressive and like kind of horrible to be here right i think th those are all good things yeah 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 uh i mean look sam thank you so much for coming on and look young people i think the biggest takeaway from here is if you are serious about quick uh action protecting the planet the eco-fascists are not actually your friends they're not gonna help not actually, <laughs> they are actually have no interest in fixing the planet so this is not the way these people are not your friends just like mom said that's a good summary thank you sam Thank you very much. La imagen por la cual vale la pena arriesgar la vida, sacrificarse hasta la muerte en los campos de batalla de todos los continentes del mundo. Comité, comitato, comitiet, comitato, corul, comité, we young we, submitting, we committee.